Amen. I want to read you from Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, and I just want to share with you for a few moments today. And I'm certainly thankful for the breakthrough and for my wife for being sensitive to the Spirit to push because we can't afford to have services where we just go through the motions. That's not going to work for us, all right? Amen. We are a church where we anticipate and believe for the visitation of the Spirit of God. And I can feel Him here just lingering on us. Amen. Just still here ministering and bringing hope. Luke 22 and 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast thrice uh, denied that thou knowest me. And, uh, but I want you to notice in that uh, verse 31, it says, the Lord said, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. So this request that Satan made to be able to test and try Peter was obviously granted because Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you that during this test that your faith would not fail, but that when it's finished, that you would be in a position to strengthen your brethren. Now, I want you to notice that this uh, statement by Jesus preceded Peter's greatest trial and personal failure ever. But it also, just by a few weeks, preceded Peter's greatest victory ever when he preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were added to the church. There was a testing, there was a trial that Peter had to come through. The hedge was let down. Satan had an opportunity to buffet or sift Peter. But in the end, we know that Peter was not only able to keep his faith through the test, but in the end, he was able to strengthen everybody else and to speak a message of hope to everyone and uh, for just a few moments today I want to speak to you on this subject Um, my title today is Lucifer's last stand Lucifer's last stand let's ask God to speak to us and let's just um, emotionally right now open our hearts to God open our hearts to the word of the Lord today so that he can speak something to us in this last in this moment uh, that would impact this week, this month, and this year. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the visitation of your spirit, and we're so grateful for the lives that have been changed over the last several weeks in this spirit of revival that is just beginning in Life Church. Lord, and we pray, dear God, for this time together today that we have some people of God who are following you, prompted by your spirit, led of the Holy Ghost, that you would guide and direct us and that your word would bring about hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And and before we go any further, I just want to make sure that we lift up Jesus one more time. Just tell Jesus how awesome he is, how big he is, how great he is, and how he is the purpose that we're here today is to exalt and worship him. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we magnify you. Jesus, we praise you. In the name of the Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around, shake somebody's hand, and tell them the devil's in for a bad year. Come on.
dawn was just cracking on December 16th, 1944. All had been relatively quiet on the uh, western front. But on that day, in the region close to eastern Belgium and northeastern France on December 16th, there was an irrational, unprecedented, aggressive attack on the Allied fronts. This surprise attack of the Nazis against the advancing Allies in a weakly defended section of the line that was moving across Europe, and it was, in fact, the American forces, the the U.S. soldiers that bore the brunt of this attack, and they were the ones that incurred the highest casualties during this attack, and it happened to be, for the U.S., the highest casualties of any operation during World War II for the U.S. troops. What happened was it was 1944. If you know your history, December is right at the beginning of 1945. The war ended the end of April 1945. This was towards the end of the World War II. And this attack called the Battle of the Bulge impacted the U.S. forces with great casualties, but it also severely depleted the German forces, forces that they had no way to replace. They lost many personnel, lost a lot of armored vehicles, and the planes of the Luftwaffe were greatly depleted during this initiative and this attack against the Allied lines and the Allied offensive across Europe. What we know now with the benefit of retrospective, historically, is that this was Nazi Germany's last hurrah. It was their final effort to try to push back against the advancing armies of the Allies. And this attack, this counterattack, created a bulge in the line in this this weak area. But on top of that, it ultimately allowed the Allies to break through in another area to bring the war to a swift end. The objective of Adolf Hitler was to split the Allies. He tried to push in this place because it was a weakened region between the U.S. and um, uh, the United Kingdom troops. And his objective was to push through and then to encircle a portion of the troops and try to negotiate a treaty that was favorable to the Axis powers. It was, in essence, Hitler's last initiative. It was Hitler's last stand. And just four months later, he would commit suicide at the end of April. Just four months later, in the streets of London and Paris and throughout the world, they would be celebrating Victory in Europe Day. There would be ticker tape falling People would be playing music and rejoicing and embracing, kissing strangers. You've seen the pictures of the great jubilation that uh, was a result of the victory on Victory in Europe Day. But this was on December 16th until January 25th, Hitler's last stand. This Second World War lasted from 1939 to 1945. It was the bloodiest five years in human history. You know the story. There was a madman named Hitler who uh, decided to take over Germany through uh, intrigue. And then eventually, 
to take over the majority of uh, continental Europe through brutal conquest, this uh, uh, warfare called the Blitzkrieg, where they would come in with such a show of strength uh, that great proud nations would fall in a matter of days. And so this uh, Third Reich, they believed, would last for many, many years, uh, and it conquered most of the European continent in a matter of less than five years through bloodshed, subjugation, and brutal ethnic cleansing. All of us have seen the pictures and heard the stories of Holocaust as this man, this madman who is inspired by Satan himself, uh, initiated a war in the last century that led to close to 85 million fatalities, way more than any other conflict ever had. But this battle that I referred to to you, the Battle of the Bulge, was a surprise attack. It was an irrational attack. It didn't make sense. They were out of forces. They were being pushed back at this point. The Allies had already landed on the beaches of Normandy. They had already established the beachhead, and they were sweeping across Europe, uh, rapidly approaching uh, the chokehold on Germany. And all of a sudden, there was this last attack, this push, this initiative uh, uh, by the Axis powers and by the Nazis uh, to try to push Back against what was happening in this final last ditch effort. So this surprise, irrational, extreme, and fierce attack, if they had only known that the reason it was so extreme, the reason it was so fierce, uh, the reason it was uh, uh, so irrational was because of the nature of the attack. Uh, There was a great proud regime that was in its final death throes. And this attack was a sign that Hitler's uh, time was up. It was his last major initiative. Now I want to show you in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible gives us a prophecy that in the end times, Satan will no longer have dominion or authority or any influence over mankind. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1, the Bible says that the angel comes down from heaven, has the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He will lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, Satan, which is the devil, and bound him or bind him up for a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on it that he can deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. Then jump to verse 7. It tells about Satan's actual Lucifer's last stand. It says, And when 1,000 years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Just a tiny bit of Bible prophecy here. The Word of God declares that when the church is taken to be with the Lord, the church will come back, will destroy the great beast that you see, the image in Daniel uh, that Daniel uh, uh, gives us from Nebuchadnezzar's dream that represents world power. 
and it's going to be destroyed, and then Jesus and the saints of God are going to establish a kingdom on the earth for a thousand years, a thousand years of peace. It's called the millennial. During that thousand years, after Armageddon and leading to the thousand years, the Bible says here that Lucifer, the deceiver, Satan, the devil, the one that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, the source of all your problems, amen, uh, the enemy is going to be bound into a pit for a thousand years, and then at the end of that thousand years, he's going to be leased, loosed for a season for one final attack, a violent attack against the city of God, and then he and all of the armies that he puts together are going to be destroyed, and then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. Now, you may say, how does this relate to us here today? Because uh, uh, um, that's a long way down the road, this thousand years from now. I want to share with you today uh, first of all, I want you to notice Satan's attitude during his final days in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath. Everybody said he's mad. Having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So the devil, when he understands that his time is at the end, his wrath is extreme, and his attack is irrational. Just like Hitler, when he recognized that things were closing in on him, he ordered an attack that was so irrational that it depleted all of his forces and it was hard to uh, determine what was happening, no doubt, from the perspective of the allies. Uh, but had they known the nature of Hitler, if we understand the nature of Satan, we would realize uh, that his wrath is measured by the shortness of time, by the fact that he's about at the end of his resources, uh, that he no longer has any longer to tempt and torment humanity. Now, we know in a global sense uh, that Satan's last stand is going to be with Mag Gog and Magog at the end of the thousand-year millennial, and he'll be frustrated, angry, and malicious because he already knows. Satan can read. He knows he has but a short time. But I want to tell you today that this relates to you and me in 2018. You believe that? Well, let me share with you how it relates. The story that we read about Peter, Jesus said to Peter that Satan had desired you, that he can have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Then he says, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Well, what's implied from that scripture? What's implied is that the request for permission to torment, to harass, to bring through a fiery trial, the Satan asked for permission. Well, the good news here is Satan can't do anything to me without getting permission first, amen? But he understand that, that God is in control ultimately. And nothing can happen in my life that's outside the purview of God's authority because he is in all power in heaven and in earth. Anybody believe that? And so in the case of Peter, he couldn't even go through this test or trial without Satan seeking opportunity. But obviously the opportunity was given because 
Peter said, I'm praying for you that during this test in this season of trial that your faith would fail not. Amen? And because during this season, during this time where Peter was being tested, it was a sifting. The Bible says that uh, the devil has desired that he may sift you as wheat. And what this is, is sifting is what happens. I've taught this here before. What happens to grain when it's separated from the chaff to make sure that all of the chaff and the rubble is separated from what can be used. There's a season where the grain goes through a process of sifting, and what comes through the sieve is usable. What's left in the sieve is thrown away. And the Bible says that that Satan asked, can I sift Peter? And Jesus said, yes. Why would Jesus allow Peter to be sifted as wheat? You know why? Because Peter was about to be very useful to the kingdom of God. And before he could be useful, there was something that would be produced from the trial, this purifying, this cleansing, this preparation that would come as a result of the trial that would make Peter what he would need to be, amen, in the New Testament church as he turned around just a few days later and preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2. God was preparing him, but he allowed the temptation, the testing, the trial, the difficulty, the buffeting, the harassment of the enemy to produce something, come on now, in Peter that God could use. I want you to get this today. When the enemy attacks, it seems random. It seems irrational. Sometimes it's painful. Always it's frustrating. And we wonder why, God, if you're in control, is this happening in my life? Anybody been there before? Why am I having to go through this? I'm one of the good guys, God, aren't I? Or or, or am I not? I'm trying to do the right thing. And all of this is happening in my life, and it doesn't make sense. Everybody say irrational. Anybody face some things in life, and it just doesn't make sense? Like, why is this happening in my life? Why was this allowed in my life? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I having to experience this? And sometimes there are questions that we have about what we have to go through that we'll never fully understand while we're here on earth. But as the old song goes, we'll understand it better by and by. But in the meantime, we have to trust a couple things. Number one, we have to trust that nothing that's happening in my life hasn't already passed the permission of Jesus Christ who said a long time ago that he's not going to put on me more than I can bear. And if through this process, through the testing, through the sifting, through the trial and through the difficulty, I can hold on to my faith when I come through on the other side, not only am I going to be a survivor, but I'm going to be able to strengthen people. I'm going to be useful for God's purpose. I'm going to be a tool that can be used in it. Come on, somebody right now. If God didn't trust you, he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. If God didn't trust you, could come through on the other side and stronger, he wouldn't have allowed it. Amen? And you know the story uh, uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Job is very similar. Job had to go through a tremendous test and trial. And uh, he, uh, uh, the Bible says that Satan came before God and God bragged on Job. Satan said, no wonder he's happy and blesses your name and honors you. You got a hedge around him. You remember the story? I can't even attack him. I can't do anything. You've protected him. He's your beloved. You got a hedge around him. And he said, if you'll take that hedge down and let me attack his physical body, 
then uh, his attitude will change, and he won't have that kind of faith you see now. And God says, okay, the hedge is down. You can touch him. Amen. God gave Satan permission to harass Job. And when you read the story, it was pretty extreme. Job's just a good guy doing good things, an honorable guy, and all of a sudden everything comes into his life. Remember when a Brother Dylan preached a, that Paul and Silas were doing the will of God? They get cast in prison, beaten, and put in stocks. Here Job is, a good man, honoring God with his life, doing all the things by his family that he should have been. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, amen, in his life. And the hedge was down, and the enemy was buffeting him from all sides. The word buffeting means harass, to harass, doesn't it? It means it's just, anybody ever had somebody just harassing you, amen? Well, the Bible says that the enemy likes to harass us because he has an objective to the harassment. The objective is he wants to steal your faith guys with me now he, he wants to destroy your confidence in God he wants you to give up he wants you to quit he wants you to walk away say so they, they, they said negative things about me they weren't kind to me I went through trial I prayed God didn't answer I went through this uh, that's what the enemy's objective is to steal your faith uh, because God has good plans for you amen God has big plans for you and when the hedge is let down, the reason I bring this up, last week, Brother Dylan mentioned that the hedge has been restored, that there has been a season during which the hedge was down. I already felt this because I was going to preach what I'm preaching right now last week if Dylan's flight hadn't got here because I was feeling it. And when he said the hedge has been restored, I said that's prophetic right now because this church, families in this church, individuals in this church have been through a season of testing. It's a corporate thing, and many of you have experienced it in your families, in your individual lives, in your marriages, in the, in the lives of your kids, in your finances, in your career. You've experienced harassment, spiritual harassment. Amen? Because there are things that happen, right? I mean, things, good, good things and bad things happen to all of us. It rains on the just and the unjust. But when it starts getting irrational, you know it's spiritual attack. When it's random, when it doesn't seem to make sense, it's why is this happening? You need to sit down and say, okay, I know what this is now. This is spiritual attack. I've lived my whole life, had good days and bad days, but there's some things happening right now that there's no denying that there's something behind this. And when the irrational attack comes, you recognize that there is a season where I've been trusted with testing and trials, but I've got to think it not strange when I go through the fiery trial, but I've got to trust that if I hold on to my faith through the trial, when I come out on the other side, my faith is going to be as pure gold that's been tried in the fire. So when the hedge comes down, the hedge comes down. What's a hedge? It's like a fence. It's a protection. And God's protection, we, we look in the Old Testament and New Testament, God's protection is around us. He's going to fight. If anybody attacks us, they're attacking our covenant partner as well. Amen? If anything comes against us, they're coming against the God that we serve. We're in covenant with him. That's like, you don't mess with my wife because you mess with my wife. You're messing with me. And you are the bride of Christ. And Jesus Christ has all power in heaven and in earth. And if anything messes with the bride of Christ, it's messing with Jesus. So we have covenant protection, amen? We have a hedge about us. But there are times when God allows for a season us to go through a trial because, listen to me right now, because the product that comes out of the trial is worth more in aggregate than the pain of the trial. 
And the Lord understands that there's certain things that can only be produced through the challenge, through the trial, and through the difficulty. But when you look at Job's life, you notice from the story, the permission was given. The parameters were established. God said, you can test him, but here's what you can and cannot do. And then his life gets crazy. The trial gets worse as time progresses. And when you look at the story of Job, it was the worst at the end. Right at the end. Because the objective of the enemy was to destroy Job's faith. That he would lose his faith, that he would curse God and die or charge God foolishly. But the thing that I want you to get here is that the trial didn't last until the end of Job's life. It was only a season of time where the enemy had permission to attack Job. And I just kind of wonder if Satan didn't know from the very beginning what the parameters were time-wise. In other words, you can attack him, the hedge is down, you can touch him, but you only have so many months. You only have so much time. And at the end of that time, the hedge is going to be restored. Amen? And guess what, devil? Your time's up. You had a season, you had a time during which you were going to try to destroy that family, get them separated from one another, get them separated from the spiritual influences in their life, destroy their hope, destroy their faith. Satan, but your time is about up. But the purpose for my message today is to let you know when the attack becomes irrational and extreme, it's usually a pretty good sign that the devil's almost out of time in your situation even though on the family of man he has another season to continue to attack and to tempt and to torment but as far as you being a child of God going through a test once it gets cray cray once it gets irrational you can tell that the devil is almost out of time if he's pushing in a way that doesn't make sense if things seem to be stacking up in a way that don't make sense you can be for sure that it's the devil's last it's Lucifer's last push, and it's time for us to rejoice. Amen? Hallelujah. So what does the scripture verse say? I'm almost done here. It says rejoice. Rejoice, ye that are in the heavens. Those of you that know what's going on, rejoice. Yeah, but the devil's mad. But you know what's going on. Rejoice. Get excited because you know that he has but a short time. Otherwise, he wouldn't be acting like he's acting. Otherwise, he would not be attacking like he's attacking. I got to speak a prophetic word over somebody. You've been believing and trusting God, and instead of getting better, it's been getting worse. Uh, but the, the season that the enemy has had to tempt you and to try you is coming to an end. And even though it may have felt extreme, even this week, uh, even though there have been physical attacks that didn't make sense, attacks against your family that didn't make sense, I've come to encourage somebody and give you a word from the Lord today. The enemy knows he can't attack you forever. It's not an open-ended invitation. It's not an open-ended permission. But there is a back end to this thing. And the crazier it gets, the angrier he is. 
because the shorter his time is. And I want to encourage somebody today to know that you're going to make it if you just keep believing, if you just keep trusting God, if you keep on holding on to the promises of the word of God. Hallelujah. reality is the devil's mad because he just got his eviction notice. He knows that his time is short. The demoniac in Mark 9, 20, they brought him to Jesus. What happened? When he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. This boy that had an evil spirit in him. Everything was pretty contained that day until they brought him to Jesus. And as soon as the spirit that was in this boy saw Jesus, it went crazy. You know why? Because he knew that he had but a short time. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he knew it was eviction notice time. And he had got his walking papers. And I want to tell you, when a new believer comes into the church, when somebody gets a hold of God, the devil gets mad because he had them wrapped up. Uh, uh, Somebody hadn't been to church in a long time. They have a heart that's not for God. Uh, It's been a long time since they've ever felt the presence of God. But they start saying a prayer. They start looking into their Bible. They start thinking about the goodness of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the enemy gets mad because he knows he has but a short time. Amen? First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Wherefore, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. That's First uh, Peter 1, 6. Greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations look at first of all for a season everybody say a season season doesn't last forever season's not permanent come on now you hear me right now winter comes and winter may cause you some stress it's season is going to come but it's not permanent though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations Next verse, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perish it, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. And so I, I want to remind you here that the testing, the trial, is for a season. It's just for a season. But this trial is going to produce something that is more Precious than gold. Last verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. So we heard from Peter about the trial. What does Paul have to say about the trial? Paul has to say this. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me or to harass me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord, uh, that, he, that it might depart from me. But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, in my difficulties, in my challenges, 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to notice there, why would he glory in infirmities? Everybody say irrational. I mean, the Apostle Paul's logic here and language is irrational. Can we agree on that? He's like, you know what? Instead of when I go through persecution, when the devil harasses me, when difficulty comes into my life, when people say negative things about me, when my feelings are hurt, rather than getting upset, I'm going to rejoice in this. I'm going to glory in this. And the reason why, look at what the verse says here. The reason why I'm going to do this, he said, I will uh, uh, glory in my infirmity so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I recognize that if I learn, amen, to have an irrational approach to the attack of the enemy, when his attack gets irrational, my response should be irrational, amen? If he can attack me in a way that doesn't make sense, I can respond in a way that doesn't make sense. The Bible says I have peace that passeth understanding. That means most people would respond in a different way but I respond in a way that's irrational because I have a peace that goes beyond their understanding and so an irrational response to the trial to the difficulty to the persecution is to say rather than getting depressed and discouraged and to decide I'm going to quit I'm going to rejoice because I know there's power that's coming on me because of what I'm going through and I know that I've faced the difficulty I've gone through the challenges my family's been attacked my health's been attacked but I'm going to rejoice in it because I know that some of you don't believe what I'm saying right now. But this is the word. Of, this is not my word. This is the word of God. Paul said, I'm going to glory. When I get thrown in prison, I'm going to rejoice. When I get beat, I'm going to rejoice. That's irrational. Amen. Come on, let's stand together right now. Hallelujah. And, and lastly, the last thing. The best response when the enemy's attack gets irrational, and you already know, you have a revelation that the ferocity and the nature of the attack may very well indicate the time frame has come to a close. That the enemy has done everything he can to destroy your faith, to try to get you to quit, to try to make you feel discouraged. But you're still here. But you're still here, amen? You may have got some scars, but you're still here. You may have missed a few days of work, but you're still here. You may have had some times where you couldn't get out of bed in the morning, but you're still here. You may have shed some tears and emptied your tear glands, but you're still here, amen? You know why you're still here? Because the trial worked. Not in Satan's favor, but in God's favor. Because the great trial of Peter, the sifting that transpired, caused him to make mistakes and failures. Sometimes in the trial we mess up. Sometimes during the trial we make bad choices. Sometimes during the trial we 
do things that are offensive to the Lord, and then we feel like he's done with us, like Peter did. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, he had to go hunt Peter down because Peter had denied the Lord. And during this sifting season, the enemy thought he had Peter destroyed because Peter was hiding out from Jesus. He heard about the resurrection, but he was ashamed of his own failures and inconsistency. The enemy thought he had Peter, but it was only a few days later where Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost in front of a host of people who said, what shall we do? We can tell that we're not right, but we sense that there's some power here and there's some anointing here. We want to tap into it. And this same Peter who had the keys to the kingdom said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And in the same day, there were 3,000 people at Added to the church and Peter became the leader the de facto leader of the New Testament church you know why because the enemy understood that when the time of the trial is ended that's when the harvest begins that's when the usefulness begins That's when God's purpose for your life begins to manifest. So if you think the enemy's mad, you ought to understand why now. And those of you that can see it from heaven's perspective, you rejoice. Because you know that the devil's mad because he has but a short time. If the devil had known what the product of the threshing of Peter would be, he probably would have never asked permission to come in and harass him. And I wonder if there's somebody here that can repeat history and everything the enemy tried to do to discourage and to destroy you. At the end of the day, when the hedge is restored, the enemy's going to say, I wish I'd have never messed with that person because what's come out of this trial, the power of Christ that is upon them now is much greater and, and more manifest than it ever could have been before. So the last thing that I want to say before we just rejoice and pray for one another and let the Spirit of God move is the greatest response to an irrational attack is irrational praise. Hallelujah. What's irrational praise? Irrational praise is what we heard about last week. Irrational praise, uh, it was two weeks ago, is what we heard about when Paul and Silas went through the great trial of being beaten, imprisoned, put in stocks and bonds. I'm going to tell you, there's some times I feel like praising the Lord, and then there's some times I don't feel like praising the Lord. You guys with me right now? There's some times when I feel ready to give God praise, ready to worship him. I feel like shouting. I feel like rejoicing. I feel like dancing. I feel like pirouetting. You know, I just feel it, right? And then there are other times when I just don't feel it. Anybody been there before? You just don't, I'm not in the mood. I'm just not in the mood, right? Well, I would say that the enemy's objective on the attack is to get you out of the mood to praise the Lord. Because good things happen when you praise the Lord. I mean, there's break loose. There's breakthrough when we lift our voice and when we shout. So when you don't feel like it, 
when it doesn't make sense, when it goes against the grain of the mood that's been produced in your emotions by what you've gone through, that's irrational praise. And when Paul and Silas, sitting in a prison cell in a pool of their own blood with stench, filth, feces, urine, blood all around them, what did they do? They begin to sing praises to the Lord and worship God in the midst of a foul prison cell. You know what? That's irrational. But I want to tell you that things start to move and to shake and to change when your praise is irrational. So if the enemy's been attacking you, your emotions, your health, your family in a way that doesn't make sense, I challenge somebody to get crazy with your praise, to say, I'm going to praise the Lord like the victory's already happened. I'm going to praise the Lord like the answer has already come. I'm going to praise the Lord like I know that I know that I know that the victory is already here. Come on, let it out. Let it out right now. Come on, let it out. Hey, pastor, I don't feel like it. Exactly. Come on now. Come on, anybody feel like giving him praise today? Anybody feel victory in the house? 